6 through 8, we won't read the whole thing, but it, it uh, talks a lot about this. In Romans 6, 4, you'll see here. We are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The one day that the song sings about is not just a future reality. It's also a present reality that we live into. The one day is the reality in its fullness, in the kingdom of God in its fullness and in its perfection. But the point I wanted to make last week is that we don't wait for that day. We actually live into that day. That our identity is already there, and we faithfully walk in that identity. And that through walking into that identity, into that reality, that if you have faith in Jesus, you're found in Christ, you're baptized, and you're a new creation, as we walk into that in the present, then the greatness of the kingdom and the fullness of the kingdom will be realized more and more among us to a greater degree day by day. The Spirit of God is within us and is among us, and that is the great hope. As we turn our attention toward the Spirit of God amongst us, we live by necessity to die to ourselves. We live by dying to ourselves, and by necessity what happens is we put on a new self. We live our resurrection lives today in the present as well as into the eternal future. This is what Jesus means by his prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we pray every single week here at Southside. And we say in Milton as it is in heaven because we believe that that reality is for us and through us for this town. That's why our focus at Southside will continue to be one of spending time and focusing on the reality of God's presence, being formed in Christ's likeness through his presence and living out the new creation that is being formed in us, the new creation of you and I. And we get to shout the victory today as we turn to face Jesus today. It's not something we have to wait to die for. You can experience the living presence of God. At least that's what the New Testament teaches. And if it's true, then that reality is to be faced and experienced today in part and the future in fullness. And so today we suffer differently. We suffer, but we suffer differently. Today we weep, but we weep differently. Today we have fear, but we fear differently. As image bearers of God and living our resurrection life today. If we turn to Jesus and we abide in him through orienting our lives around this reality, then the spirit of God dwells in our midst, in our bodies, in our souls, and in our minds. This is the way that the church, this is why the church has turned towards the living Christ and the spirit of God dwelling in us through the spiritual disciplines and practices. And it's which takes us to the practice of fasting. We're coming to the end of talking about fasting, and I think we should do another survey like we did the first week that we talked about fasting. So let's jump into our poll, lighten the mood a little bit. I hope that brought some clarity. I wanted to make sure I read that instead of shot from the hip again. The beginning of this series, we did a poll on fasting, and we, um, we put up on the screen, and we did it live so that you could see the results of that poll, what our experience is with fasting, what our understanding of fasting is. And now that we're coming to the end of talking about it week by week, I want to see where we've gotten. I think this might be interesting. So grab your phones. You're in church, teens. You can grab your phone, but only use it for this one single purpose. Jacob's behind you, and he's watching over your shoulders. Grab your phone out. And uh, I just think this would be an interesting practice. We talked about this at the beginning that um, the Western Evangelical Church 
at least that many of us have been a part of, um, struggles with the idea of fasting, the practice of fasting. Many of us have never done it, me included, as a leader in the church for over a decade now. This is the first season of life that I've spent significant time practicing the discipline of fasting. And so if you're feeling like a rookie, well, I'm here as a rookie with you. It's been an amazing experience. It's been a really, really um, life-giving experience for those who have practiced it. But I want to see if in talking about something for eight to ten weeks, both in communities and on Sunday, if we've really moved the needle at all in this direction. So you can jump on there. I'll wait for everybody to get in there. And then at the end of the service today, because I'm going to do mostly a recap and wrap up, we're going to get do a question and response. And uh, the last slide in this live poll is your chance to ask a question. And uh, we'll, we'll come back to those at the end of the service to be able to address some of them. And so I'm assuming most people are in. It looks like about 50 people in. That's awesome. Okay. So let's do this. It's similar to the first one we did, a little different wording because it's after the fact. If you're still trying to get in, you can use that QR code. So go ahead and let's see what kind of results we get here. For those who are just watching the screen who don't have it on your phone, how often do you fast now? The first is I've never fasted, still never fasted. Second one is I've tried it once or twice before this teaching series. The third is I've tried it once or twice since we started talking about it. The fourth option is almost weekly with my community. And the fifth option is twice a week. For those in communities, you know that that's a stretch goal for the most holy. Just kidding. So it looks like we've got quite a few people who are weekly fasting because of their time in community. And that's met almost equally by people who still, after eight weeks of talking about it, have never fasted. (laughs) That's okay. Growth. Step by step. Baby steps. Okay. See what this next one is. How do you feel about fasting now? First option is no different. I still don't, I'm still not sure about it. Second option is more aware, but equally less likely to do it. Third option is better understanding and more likely to try it. The fourth is understand it theoretically and experientially. And the fifth is I'll be a fasting advocate and evangelist because of my experience. Okay. So it looks like our feelings on it have shifted a little bit. I reviewed the results from the last poll earlier today. I can share those with us maybe this week. It might be an interesting thing to share. One of the gripes of pastors especially is uh, that we put a lot of work in week by week to get up and talk for 30 minutes. And maybe you go, why do you do that? We don't want you to. But you show up for it. So, um, <laughs> And then the challenge is like, is, are we growing? Are we going anywhere? Is it worth our time? to do this on a weekly basis, and the energy, the effort, and the heart, and the emotion that goes into a 30-minute talk. Are we getting anywhere? And so it's helpful to see. Most people say they better understand it, they're more likely to try it, and then some say they understand it theoretically and experientially now. Oh, what a gift. How important do you think fasting is to your spiritual formation and growth as a disciple of Jesus? This will be interesting. So we have one courageous cynic saying not important at all, and that's okay. Many saying minimally important, many more saying somewhat important, and almost equally people saying very important. 
Well, that's helpful. It's helpful to know that we, today, in a different way, see fasting as somewhat or very important compared to when we started this. Those were not the results. All right. What fruit? Oh, what fruit of your experience from fasting? Gosh, my grammar. What's the fruit of your experience from fasting? You can select multiples on this one if you'd like. It'll be interesting to see if you have fasted, what's been the fruit of your experience and where we're experiencing the most. The different options there are an increase in self-discipline, an increase in spiritual maturity, more experience with the presence of God, a greater appreciation for fasting in those who fast, health benefits, and greater awareness of suffering in the world. That looks like it's pretty evenly split. Leaning towards an increase in self-discipline and a greater appreciation for fasting in those who fast. But pretty evenly split. That's neat to see. All right, here's the test. Going from here, are you interested in fasting more? Awesome. That's an uptick. Pat yourself on the back. We're growing a little bit. It's good. Finally, questions for later in the service. I'm going to leave this up. So throughout the service, you can think of a question if you don't have one right off the top of your head, and we're going to come back to that. That way we're not shoving a mic in your face and making you ask it in person, unless, of course, you prefer that. Luke, you can uh, switch the slides again. This morning, like I said, I just want to do mostly a recap on the series. Because like I've said in the past, um, I would teach something like this and forget what I taught last week. And that's partially because my forgetfulness, partially because that's the nature of how distracted we are and busy are with a million different things. So I want to recap for us where we've gone the last several weeks. Invite you into those things again. The four primary purposes of fasting that we've talked about, both in communities and on Sundays, are this. Um, We fast to offer ourselves to Jesus, to grow in holiness, to amplify our prayers, and to stand with the poor. Offer ourselves to God, to offer ourselves to Jesus. What we mean by that and what we've meant by that is to awaken a hunger within for something deeper, for a deeper union with Christ. We're hungry for a lot of food and different things in this life. But the question is, are we hunger for deeper union with the living God and the presence of God in our life? And fasting is a means to that. We talked about how we are an embodied people. We don't just worship with our minds and our voices, but we worship with our bodies, and we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, not just our, our spirit It's not disembodied. We offer our whole selves. And fasting is embodied worship. It is treating your body like it belongs to God and therefore pursuing the things of God by saying no to the things of the body for a moment. We say no to our flesh and its immediate desires in order to say yes to God and to hear his voice and his calling on our lives. That's why we fast. The second reason that we fast is to grow in holiness 
to heal our relationship with food, to heal our relationship with pleasure, to starve our flesh and feed our spirit, to develop self-control and self-discipline in all areas of our life. And some of you guys noted there in the survey that you've noticed an increase in self-discipline because of the discipline of fasting. Most of our sinful patterns in the West, especially a city like Milton, are not a result of scarcity, but a result of abundance. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you take a, uh, a poll of the things that you struggle with, it's probably because you have too much at your fingertips. It's not because you have too little. The reality of the West, especially a place like Milton, is that you have so much at your fingertips, at your disposal. You have so much uh, vying for your attention. You have so many pleasures. The question is, which ones and how often? It's not a matter of any at all. That's our challenge. Our challenge is actually to say no to all that which we could purchase. Our purchasing power is the greatest purchasing power of any people of all time. Your problem isn't not having enough to get the thing. Your problem is, what do I spend my money on? Your problem isn't with not having enough food to eat. Your problem is, what food do I want to eat today? And, oh, that's boring. I don't want to eat that again, right? Your problem is with an abundance of food. You've got to fight to eat less, not just trying to eat at all. Our challenge is because of our abundance, not scarcity. We're over-sexualized because of our access to sexual content. We're over-stimulated because of our access to entertainment. We get stressed about which show we're going to choose to watch this week because there's so many options. We fight to turn off our mind for a moment because it's on all the time. We're overwhelmed with the busyness of life with kids and options for our kids' activities. The problem isn't with not having enough opportunity for your kids, is it? The problem is which ones do we choose and how much do we give ourselves to that? It's not that your kid can't become an excellent piano player here in Milton. If you give yourself over to that, they can. It's not that they can't become a professional hockey player. If you give yourself over to that, they can. All the opportunity is here. It's your kid has one life, and what are you going to want to invest in them because of the abundance that we have? Our selfish spending patterns, our indulgence in food, our alcoholism and recreational drug abuse to numb our existential pain, those are all a result of abundance. They're not a result of scarcity. So our holiness often here in a place like Milton has a lot to do with saying no to our options, saying no to our abundance in order to say yes to God. That's what it means to grow in holiness. We talked about holy to be holy is to be set apart. We talked about how we consecrate our bodies. We choose that our body is going to be set aside for something more important than normal use, than daily use, than daily pleasures and pleasure-seeking. We become holy by saying no to the ways of our flesh in order to say yes to the ways of the Spirit. And we overcome sin easier when we determine or predetermine what we're going to do with our bodies, along with our minds and our hearts. When we choose that we're going to use it as an instrument for righteousness, or allow God to use it as an instrument for his righteousness, rather than just reacting with what our immediate thought, idea, or desire is. And that's how we grow in holiness. We offer it to be used for the good work prepared in advance for us to do, like we just read. Not just for pleasure, comfort, and selfish desires. And we're called to stand with God in his holiness. We're called holy, actually, 
because of God's holiness and because of our image-bearing nature. So like we said earlier, we ought to live into that faithfully and obediently. And fasting is a means to doing that. It's a pathway to doing that. Opens up the opportunity to be aware of that and to say yes to that. The third thing we said is we amplify our prayers. We sharpen our ability to hear God's voice as well as give power to our prayers to break through walls. The testimony of scripture and the testimony of the church is that those who fast and pray, things tend to happen. And uh, there's no formula here. God's not a cosmic slot machine. But we kind of talked about how if you're a loving father, your kid wants everything, right? Especially when they have access to everything. And they ask you for a million things. And you really know they're serious if they're actually willing to say no to all the other stuff and actually continue asking for that one thing. And what we're learning about ourselves is that we're kind of like that with God. If we're willing to actually say no to even our own flesh and then ask God for something, oftentimes he's willing to respond. Not just willing to respond, but will respond. We're serious about it. And the testimony of scripture and the testimony of the church for 2,000 years is that when we fast and we pray, oftentimes our prayers are answered in an increased and elevated way than if we don't. That's something that we take by faith and that we see from experience. And then lastly, we talked about this last week, we stand in poor, stand with the poor, and we fight injustice. That's why we fast. I'm going to read this quote to you. I thought it was helpful. One of the ways I become like Jesus is that I willingly discomfort my body in the way that others are unwillingly comfort, discomforted in their body. The reason I do that is so that I can grow in empathy. I'll say that again. One of the ways that I become like Jesus is that I willfully discomfort myself to stand alongside those who unwillingly are living with discomfort. And we grow in empathy when we do that. We fast to do justice. How do we do justice through fasting? Well, we free up our time, our resources, and our energy that we normally commit to self-indulgence and food. And we reserve it to serve with our mind, our body, and our resources and our time to serve those who are less fortunate. James 1.27, it says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. What fasting does, fasting chastises your body, but it only benefits others when we connect it to generosity. That's what Pastor Ian talked about last week. It's fasting and almsgiving. Fasting and using our freed up time, energy, and resources to serve others, those who have less. Pastor Ian asked last week for you to uh, take on a challenge. He said, give what you would have spent on breakfast and lunch to a cost for the poor and afflicted. And one of the beautiful things about our community is that this week we committed to doing that. I don't know about you guys, but our, our Wednesday night community is committed to continue fasting on Wednesdays for those who want to and are able to, and we've also committed that the money we would have spent that day on breakfast and lunch, we're actually just going to pool together. And if an opportunity comes to serve somebody in a season of need, it's there for us to just say yes to, because we committed that, and we predetermined that's what it's going to be used for, rather than spending that money on feeding ourselves like we do all week long. I think it's going to be a beautiful practice, and I'm looking forward to it. The question that's challenging for us is what sacrifices are we making or have we made recently to discomfort ourselves in order to empathize with the poor? 
We're good at uh, posting things on Instagram or Facebook and solidarity. But we all know that's mostly noise. It's those who actually are willing to discomfort themselves that actually make an impact. Say no to something in order to say yes to helping. Not just saying virtue signaling, but actually stepping in the way and discomforting ourselves in order to serve those who are in need. One of the questions that I just can't stop thinking about, and I know you're probably feeling this way too, when you look around the room, I ask myself this question all the time. What would our church look like and what kind of impact would we have in this city if we decided to say no to the patterns of self-indulgence, materialistic gains, and the numbing comfort of pleasure-seeking, and instead we used our collective time, resources, and attention for the things that matter most to God? It's not a... Um, shouldn't create shame or put a shame. It's not, it's not a, uh, you're not being shamed right now. It's just a good question. If you follow Jesus, like, we should just keep asking ourselves and one another this question. What kind of impact would we have if we as a community um, saw an uptick? We, we increased just a little bit in the direction of saying no to the patterns of self-indulgence, materialistic gains, and the numbing comfort and pleasure-seeking. If we, if we said no to that in order to say yes to time with God and to carrying on with what God would say matters most. You're starting to, if you have a picture of what that would look like, you're starting to picture what the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven starts to look like. And the more we grow into that, the greater that impact and influence will be. If we focus on unity with one another and spend our time, energy, and resources on that, we built one another up in love, we brought healing to the broken, We fed and clothed the local and the global poor. We restored family relationships through counseling, through support, through peer mentoring. And we created beautiful things that give glory to God. What would it look like, this town, if we just grew in that? Just this group of people would be pretty pretty beautiful, wouldn't it? In Milton, we feast a lot, especially compared to the rest of the world. We feast a lot here in Milton. And this is another quote that I found helpful through our teaching. We don't know how to feast because we don't know how to fast. Especially if we fast on behalf of those who don't have enough and share our plenty with them, our feasting will be much more meaningful. Have you ever found stress and angst about where to go out to dinner? Do you find, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me, but I, my wife and I fight about that sometimes. But what to watch. And imagine how f- tasty the meal would be, the feasting that we do, if we actually learn to fast. In a culture of abundance, we don't really know how good it is that we have it until we go without it. And for us, by the grace of God and the mercy of God, like Dean prayed this morning, we don't, we're not forced into that decision, but we choose that. God invites us to choose that so that our feasting can taste so much better. To tie things back to the beginning, there will be a time where the kingdom of God has come in its fullness, and therefore we don't need fasting anymore. We're just straight up feasting. That's the promise of the future kingdom of God. It's only feasting in its fullness. I don't know if you've read the New Testament and Revelation about it. It just seems like a giant party where you're eating all the time. And obviously that's a word picture, but it's, it's also a reality. There's no more fasting because there's no more solidarity with the poor. There's no more solidarity with those who are hurting and broken. 
because that doesn't exist anymore in the future kingdom. There will be no more unrighteousness, no more unholiness, no more distance between us and our awareness of God's presence, no more injustice. This is the gospel of grace, and it's the promise that we look forward to. But now we don't live with that in its fullness. So we fast. We pray. We use our bodies to ask Jesus to drag that future into the present. We pray in the words of the early church and the church since Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. May we feast on our Sabbath with anticipation of a perfect future, and may we fast as a way to bring that future into the present by being formed in Christ and have Christ formed in us and through us by taking up our cross daily and following in his ways. And if we do that, and when we do that, we will see the kingdom of God come to Milton as it is in heaven. This is why we fast. I hope you're convinced of that a little bit more after eight or ten weeks. I don't know how long we've been talking about this. I look forward to what we're going to get to do next as a church. We're going to do some Q&R. Because <clears throat> maybe you're leaving here with some questions or you're still sitting here with some questions. So if you haven't gotten a chance to submit it, you can go there to the QR code and you can submit your questions this morning. And I wrote Q&R. I like the language of Q&R because I don't guarantee that you're going to get an answer. <laughs> You'll probably get a response, but you, probably, you may not get an answer. I'm going to go check out what some of those cues are. Okay. First question. You can put this up on the screen if you want. I don't mind. This is risky because there might be a question you're like, answer it. I'm like, no, I don't want to answer that. That's okay. First question. I know Pastor Ian said that fasting was just about food in in, in the Bible anyways, but do same principles apply to depriving ourselves of other things? For example, sleep in a cold tent for a night. I love that. Um, yes, the fasting is particularly about saying no to food, at least historically. But it doesn't mean that abstinence is a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing. Any families here do a tech fast? You not just fast from food for a day, but you like make your kids not go on their phone for a day? It's all right. Courageously say, yeah, at least we try to. Maybe we're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and do we think that's good for, for our kids? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fight every week, but ultimately it's good if we, um, if we have our kids say no to something in order to say yes to something better. Uh, living in a cold tent for a night, the principle applies. Yeah. Say no to comfort in order to say yes to solidarity with the poor. So you can see generally and principally this is true and good for our heart and for our soul and for life in Christ and formation in Christ. Particularly fasting is, a, is, is traditional, it's uh, rooted in scripture, and it's something that um, Christians and many other religions have practiced uh, for most of human history, particularly because one of the most basic needs are food. You can live in a tent for a long time, as long as you got a good jacket or a... I'm pointing to you as though you asked the question. I don't even know if it was... Okay, great. 
Uh, I just know Victor's the kind of guy who's like, let's go live in a tent tonight. Um, yeah, but traditionally, like, if you think of what's your most basic human need, it's food. It's, it's sustenance. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can stay warm, but, but you need to eat to survive. So that's why eating is the primary thing. Let's see. If God already knows what is going to happen in the future, how would fasting change his mind or make a miracle happen? That's a really complicated question. If God already knows, does anything change as a result of our petition? And the answer to that is, yes, I believe things change. Scripture teaches us that you can ask God for something, and he will do something as a result of your request and your ask. Now, how does that work with his sovereignty and his foreknowledge? I can't answer that question for you. I don't understand that. But what I do know is at least scripture testifies to a God who knows but is willing to and does act differently based on our petition, our prayers, and our ask. Otherwise, the whole scripture teaching on all things regarding prayer and asking God and fasting, all that's meaningless. And I don't think that. So I'm willing to challenge the question of um, does God know exactly what he's going to do before we ask for it in real time, before I'm willing to question whether or not our asks our invit- our, and our petitions change anything. Good question, though. Uh-oh. What's the why of fasting? Was, were you listening? For t- <laughs> I don't want to be rude, but like, um, do I need to answer that again? I don't want to be rude, but do I need to answer that again? We don't need to do that again. We'll talk. If you have that question, come ask me, because maybe you haven't been here for, for this time. But we just went over at least mostly the why. Yeah. Oh, great. There we go. Hopefully, you've gotten some of an, a response. Maybe not an answer, but a response. And if you have more, let's talk about it. <laughs> How do we keep from making these disciplines just another legalistic right, uh, form of legalistic righteousness or transactional? To not fast out of fear, legalism, to fast to just get something from God, transactional. That's, a, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I would respond with saying that fasting is something that is invitational. When we make it uh, legal or required, which is not actually in the New Testament, it's assumed that the church will continue to fast. Jesus talks about fasting as though it's something that his followers just do. So it's something we're invited into. And for all the reasons we've stated... But it's not, one, it's not required. And two, um, the invitation is for the sake of your personal life with Jesus and your growth. It's, um, it's not a matter of doing it is what's holy. We've talked about that a little bit. Fasting isn't holy. To fast isn't holy. It's actually the holiness that's produced in us through the practice. And that's what is all the disciplines. Prayer isn't holy. Fasting and Sabbath, they are not holy in the way that God is holy. It's the holiness that's produced in us through the disciplines and the practices that are the gift to us. And so how do we make sure it doesn't become legalistic and righteous, uh, legalistic righteousness? Well, we actually just invite people into their own personal life with Jesus and relationship with Jesus. And, and if they want accountability for that, then it's on the basis of their decision to pursue the presence of God through spiritual disciplines and practices, not a blanket requirement. 
saying you're in or you're out if you do this or if you don't do this. hope that helps a little bit. It's a great question, though. How does prayer amplify? How does prayer amplify our? I think you meant fasting amplify our prayers. The Bible says God has already heard us before we pray. Yeah. How does how does fasting amplify our prayers? We kind of talked about that a little bit this morning. I'll try to respond a little bit more to that if it's helpful at all. God already hears us before we pray. Part of prayer is actually just us getting aligned with, uh, with God. That's a piece of prayer. But we actually believe in our church and in our fellowship or denomination of churches that prayer makes a difference. And so whether or not God hears us, there is something to the act of asking or praying or stating or saying that apparently does make a difference and impact God's choice or behavior or response. And that's as far as I can go with the complexity of that one. That's a long, long conversation to have. But the point is, in faith, we believe it does. And the scriptures testifies to that and how that works with the sovereignty of God and his knowledge of what we may ask for ahead of time. Well, that's a complicated philosophical question that I don't know if I can answer in a minute. But a good question, good for asking. Why is fasting not mandated if it's so important in our lives? There's a lot of things that aren't mandated in Scripture, and that's partly so that it doesn't become legalistic. It's invitational. At the end of the day, if we believe that the invitation is for you to have life and life to the full in a relationship with Jesus, and all things related to our faith have to be invitational, God gives us the freedom to choose relationship with him and gives us the freedom to choose to pursue his presence or to not pursue his presence. And so it's not mandated, it's encouraged, it's strongly suggested, it's said if you are, at least for fasting, it's assumed that it would be a practice. If you say you're a follower of Jesus, then you will do the kinds of things that Jesus did, and one of the things he did was fast in order to spend time with the presence of God, and so it's assumed that that would, but it's not mandated in the way that prayer isn't even mandated. Your life with Jesus isn't mandated, do you know that? Like your faith and choosing to follow the ways of Jesus is not mandated. That's a decision you make. It's not something that is required of you. You know that because you don't follow Jesus all the time. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Uh, What's the why of fasting? Okay, great. Any last questions before we wrap things up this morning? I hope this morning was was invitational, was clarifying, was... uh, a meaningful and useful reminder. We're going to invite the band to come up, and they're going to lead us through another song. And then I just want to close this out with a prayer, or a, it's a prayer, it's a poem, it's a written prayer. That's a poem, and that'll be it for fasting. And f- the weeks to come in Advent, we're calling the Advent teaching topics um, "Holy Moments." Kind of build on the topic of holiness that God's been teaching us and leading us in through recently, and uh, especially around the Advent season to identify um, moments as holy that we look back on that are set apart from other moments. And so the invitation will be to continue to look back on the Christmas story in this Advent season, but also to start recognizing the moments in your life that have been set apart that have led you to where you're at today.